but we've been talking about a new book that was written by Erwin uh, Lutzer, and the title of the book was We Will Not Be Silenced, Responding Courageously to Our Culture's Assault on Christianity. Now, if you're like me, uh, someone actually called me up and they made a statement to me about something they were enduring at work. It was called sensitivity training. And basically, they were put in a position where they had to admit that they were racist or there was some kind of an agenda in their heart and it frustrated them because they did not feel like that was true. And they asked me, what can I do about it? And I quite frankly told them, at that point, I really didn't know because I had not evaluated the situation. I couldn't get my hands on what was going on. It's almost like a tidal wave came upon us suddenly, and we don't know what to do. So as a pastor, I began looking and researching. I I read many books, articles, people from our congregation, God bless you, have sent me research. Some have done pages and pages of research, sent it to me, videos. I am indebted to you. Thank you. You've exposed me to a lot of things I didn't know and so forth. So I have been trying to compile this, but here's the difference. We're not in a classroom this morning where I can sit down and lecture for an hour and 30 minutes like I would normally do if I were teaching a class, and we could come back Monday, Wednesday, Friday for a semester. I'm having to open your mouth and squirt you with a fire hydrant. And have you all ever tried to drink from a fire hydrant? I mean, it's just... You don't know what to do. So what I've had to do is skim right off the top the main things that I feel like you need to know in order, number one, to understand what's going on in our crazy culture, and then number two, as a, as a child of God, how to respond. Because, quite frankly, we have been silent for so long that we are now, are you all listening to me? We are now in the minority. As a matter of fact, Lutzer wrote his book and he used this, this illustration. He said, for years, biblical Christianity in America played on the home field. When we said this is truth and this is right, we had a majority of people stand up and say, Amen, you're right, go on. However, that tide has now changed. You and I, dear friend, not to discourage you this morning, but to encourage you, we are in the minority. We no longer play on the home field. We are playing on the visiting team's turf. And the problem is we don't understand who the visiting team is. But many, many people work for the visiting team. Many people are employed You're influenced, you're trained, and you're taught by the visiting team, but you really don't understand where it all came from, and more importantly, as a believer today, what are we to do? Now, by the way, as a parent, I I become very concerned for my children because, you know, they're being raised in this, and I've really been engaging myself uh, for those who have went out into college in their curriculum, listening to their questions, what they're being asked, what their professors are saying. And what I'm going to share with you is is being totally immersed on our kids. 
You know, why do, why do you send your children away to a, a university and they come back hating America? Why? I'm going to tell you. Uh, why do your kids go off and come back as totally transformed, thinking all kinds of different thoughts about environmentalism and so forth and so on? Why? And one of the major reasons is what we're going to share today. Now, to get right to it, you need to read the book. Because obviously, I can't go through everything in the book. And a lot of what I put on the paper that you have today, a lot of it didn't come from the book. A lot of this is my research outside. But where I got it from the book, I tried to say this is where I got it from the book. But I'm trying to give you uh, an inundation of what's going on. So before I start, I want to read God's Word and, and kind of give us the platform from which to jump. Okay? This is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus came as Israel's Messiah to teach the people about what his kingdom would be like. Now, by the way, you are not in his kingdom right now. Okay, you're going to hear my belief on the kingdom. Uh, The kingdom is something that is uh, predicted that one day when Christ comes to this earth, his feet will stand upon the Mount of Olives. He will establish his kingdom Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, when he returns at the second coming, he will bring both judgment and his kingdom. The kingdom is Jesus, okay? So he will bring the kingdom, he will establish it, he will set it up, he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. But when he came to the earth and he began to preach, the Jews in that day who knew the Old Testament realized that it predicted one day Messiah would come and he would establish an earthly kingdom. And what they wanted was a God figure to come and to squash all oppression in their life and make them the head of all the nations. They were looking for a political rule where Jesus would authenticate their life and their hate and their sin and he would just make them win. Now, by the way, there are a lot of Republicans like that. Excuse me this morning. We want to drink and do everything we want to do, and have lewdness and immorality, and go do all kinds of things in our political party, and we want everybody else to be squashed. Well, I've got news for you this morning. The Republicans are as rotten as any. Now now that I've offended you, and if you don't believe me, just go through the halls of Congress and listen to anybody who's in politics, and they'll tell you there's rot on both sides. And I'm not here this morning to sit here and pick a political party, so if you think that's what I came for, just abolish that. Because I'm not fitting into a grid, and I'm not into a mold, I'm not here to beat you if you're a Democrat, and I'm not here to praise you if you're a Republican, because neither one of them have the answer to our problems. Only Almighty God, okay? So, now that I've got that passion out of the way, because I am passionate about that, let's start. When Jesus came, this is what he said. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now stop. Because this is where I need to evaluate. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean? 
Who defines righteousness? Now, traditionally in America, righteousness was defined by what? By Judeo-Christian values. In other words, principles were derived from God's Word, and that is what determined what was right and wrong. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not this and that and that. And from the foundation of the Jew and the Christian doctrine of truth, which is the Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, Old Testament and New, from the Judeo-Christian value system, America's founding documents and a lot of the West were formed from God's Word. Now, what has happened over the last many years, 100 years to be exact, or not exact, but right around the figure, since the early 1920s, so this has been going a long time, folks. Don't go back and blame this on 2008 or thereafter. Since the early 1920s, there has been an infiltration to abolish God's Word from Western society and to establish what is called secular humanism. Now, what does that mean? Secular simply means devoid of God. Okay, I'm trying to make this as simple as I can. Secular means I take anything that this has to say and pitch it, and now I come in with a group of other people, and we determine what is absolute truth or what is truth. Are are y'all following me? So secular humanism tosses the Word of God, gets it completely out, and now humans become the source of truth. My opinion, what I think. And if I can get enough elites around me, and we can establish what is truth, and we can pass it into law, and we can make it as an absolute, then others are bound to follow it. Now, you all know that you know people talk about prayer being taken out of schools, Ten Commandments out of schools. This has been going on for years and years and years. But it's just now hit the beat. So now you and I are confronted with this question, what is righteousness? And I'm going to very clearly come out and say, until you determine what is truth and what is righteousness, you don't know which way to go. Now, if you're a Bible-believing Christian like me, and you may not be, by the way, we have, listen to me, we have agnostics who watch us. Do you know that? It's very rare because sometimes sometimes in today's culture, if people disagree with you, they won't even listen to you. (laughs) they don't even want to hear you. There's no such thing as reasoning anymore. We just block you. But we have some who listen, and we invite them to listen, many who disagree. But the bottom line is, you've got to have some type of a foundation. And I believe righteousness is described and defined by God's Word. Okay, so that's my position so you know where we're at. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst... For what I say is right, God says, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, and blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, notice the next verse. 
Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For what I say is right and for what I say is wrong. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the righteousness and what I say is right, you're going to say is right. And what I say is wrong, you're going to say is wrong. And when you stand with me and people persecute you for standing with me, Blessed are you. Not only are you going to be satisfied, but you're, you're going to be exalted and you're going to enjoy the kingdom. Not now. Not now. But when the kingdom is fully established. By the way, in order to get the kingdom established, six things have to happen. Did you know that? Six. Jesus is only presenting one side here. That's the spiritual side of the kingdom. There has to be an economic side, a political side, a religious side. I could go right on down the list. But when all six happen, then the kingdom of God is in full force. But it's only one side here, so don't go saying Jesus' kingdom spiritual and, and I'm crazy because there's no earthly kingdom. It's all spiritual. Let's just pull out four or five verses and make our own theology and everything's lovely. No. It's going to be an earthly kingdom. And He's going to rule and reign and righteousness will rule. But it's not happening right now. But when we suffer for His name's sake, one day we'll enjoy it. Okay. Rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted, for your reward in heaven is what? Great. So are you ready to reprogram your mind, visiting team? Y'all ever played on the visiting team? You know, Virginia Tech hates to go to West Virginia. You know why? Because those people are crazy up there in my home state. Throwing batteries, spitting on them, throwing bottles. At. I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to go to them crazy people up there either. I mean, I love the Mountaineers. And I'm going to root for them, but I wouldn't go. I don't even go to a ball game up there. You don't like going to a visiting team when they're opposed to you, do you? When they mock you and try to hurt you. You don't want to go. Well, guess what? We didn't ask for this, but this is where we live. And this is our culture. And did you know that as your pastor, to fail to address this would be sin on my part? If I didn't help equip you to live in this world that you and I live in right now, I feel like I would be sinning. So don't get mad at me for anything I say, but if you do and you persecute me, then I'm blessed. Okay, sometimes I do get some hateful emails, but that's fine. That just comes with the territory. But if you do have the book, you should read page 238 and 239 at the story of the church that was canceled. A man preached a message on gender, talking about male and female, and somebody published it in the culture, and they promoted it on social media, and a horde got together, and they attacked the pastor. They attacked the church. They attacked everybody they funded. They went and attacked the people they gave money to and told those people to turn against them. And guess what happened? They canceled the church. Now, I want you to hear me. Are you listening? It's coming. It's coming. And we're on Facebook right now. I have actually been censored on Facebook before from the Facebook police because they do watch us. We've been banned before, so they'll probably tear everybody that's off Facebook. So help yourself if you want to. Thanks for letting us use your platform right now, but that's just how it goes. 
Because this is heavy stuff. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, talks about the believer's responsibility. I'm going to hurry through this, okay? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But listen now. But immorality, or any impurity, or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So it sounds like Paul is making a distinction here between righteousness and unrighteousness. Would you agree with me? He's calling out some specific things and telling believers, if you want to be righteous and you want to honor God, here are some things that you need to protect your life from, and that is immorality, impurity, greed... And let's go on and say, there must be no filthiness and no silly talk, coarse jesting, this is dirty jokes, uh, which are not fitting, but rather, what should define the Christian's life? You all look at the text. Giving of thanks. So when everybody else is telling dirty stuff, the believer's life is radically transformed and different because they don't join in with that. They begin giving thanks. What a weapon. By the way, if you don't get anything out of today, you can stick that one in your hip pocket because it works. The next time you hear somebody bashing somebody or bashing something, say, you know, I'm thankful to God that He gave me the health to get up today and my, for my family. I thank God for... Oh, people don't know what to do with that. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, I don't want to get off on this, but I do want to say it, and let me explain it. If you're a Christian, and you are endorsing immorality, or impurity, or covetousness, or greed, or living in sexual immorality, you may have trusted Jesus for eternal life. Did you know that? But I want to share something with you, and I I need to be blunt you will have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ when He returns. doesn't mean you won't enter, but you will have no inheritance. And when you go to serve Him in the eternal kingdom, it's not going to be what you think it is. And so this is a warning to believers that if you go out and you embrace what your culture embraces and you live it thinking that you're doing what is loving... There's going to be a reversal one day, and Jesus is going to turn the table. You don't have an option. You have to either stand with him or against him. There is no fence riding here. Paul goes on to say, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because anybody who tries to talk you out of of that, what, what he just said, is nothing but a windbag. Empty words. They might have a lot of words, but they're all empty. Why? Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God actually judges unsaved people for immorality and greed. And You all follow me? So as a Christian, you can't have part of that. Now listen to what he goes on to say. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk 
as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, here's our word, and righteousness and truth. So, light is what? Goodness and righteousness and truth. That is light. That is light. Darkness is the opposite of that. Okay. Paul goes on to say, We are trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds. Uh, and I lost my last part. But the bottom line in that is, he says, instead of embracing those, we are supposed to expose the darkness. Okay? So I'm just going to let that set for just a moment, and I'll come back to it. Grab your paper if you have it. I'm going to take off. I gave you the highlights here, and I'm going to go through it. You're going to have to pay attention this morning because, you know, this is not the average church where you can sleep through this sermon. If you start sleeping through part of it, it's gone because I've got it set up where it goes like this. And you've got to follow me. What's happened in Christianity? Look what the third paragraph over intro. In America. You see that? In America, we are seeing a well-orchestrated attempt to destroy the foundations of the Judeo-Christian America and rebuild it upon a secular foundation based upon a form of cultural Marxism. Yeah, if you need a paper, hold it up and... Andrew, bless your heart and may your reward be great in eternity. He's such a servant here and we're so thankful for him. But they are trying to tear away God's word and reestablish truth based upon secular humanism that is based on cultural Marxism. Now you're going to hear me use that term and I'm going to define it hopefully where you can understand it. So... What I did was, I went down through here. This is not Webster's Dictionary. This is Altizer's Country Dictionary. I'm a, I told you I'm a simple guy. Things have to be clear and simple. These definitions are not scholarly. I'm sorry. But I tried to make them where I can take all this academic stuff and put it right down there where you can get a hold of it. Because that's what I need. But... Judeo-Christian is a phrase which means the principles and standards are taken from the Bible and applied to society through ethics, laws, or whatever government form. Okay? Secular means that values are based on human reasoning apart from the authority of the Bible and its principles. This group does not appeal to Scripture for support of right or wrong. You have to understand that. If you don't understand that, you're going to totally miss it. Listen to me, folks. I would guarantee, just about guarantee, that wherever you work, 95 to 99% of the decisions that are made have absolutely nothing to do with what God said. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are living in a post-Christian world in the West, meaning that God's Word is not even referred to in a decision. It is gone. We are... We are uh, dreaming. If we think that people actually look at the Bible, this is an inside conversation you and I are having. Nobody else cares. This is just for me and you this morning. There are 20-some thousand people who are residents of Christiansburg. And do you know how much of a minority we are? Has that ever hit you? 
Take every church in Christiansburg and add their attendance up. We are a very small fraction. People don't care what I'm sharing this morning. They only care about what people think. Not God. That's your world, by the way. That's my world. And people say as a parent, does that bother you about your children? I hear people say this all the time. I'm not afraid for myself. I'm afraid for my children. You know what? I'm stopping that. I'm stopping that. Thanks to something my wife shared with me. You know, as one man said, when I hear the voice of God, it often sounds a lot like my wife. <laughs> but this is, this is basically what it said. God, let your children be born at this time for this reason. Stop thinking it's up to you to protect them from this culture and say that they can't defend their beliefs in this culture. Prepare them, equip them, and train them, and unleash them. So, we don't have to fear this. By the way, my kids, some of them are in training that's secular, and they share their stuff with me, and boy, as a dad, you know, I'm sitting there loading the clip. <laughs> oh, really? Just ask the professor this, say this. Now, prepare for it, because you might not pass. You might fail. But don't you dare be afraid. Okay, so, secular Authority, what does the word authority mean? It means a source or a truth that has the right to tell you what to believe and how to behave. That's what we mean by authority. Now, Marxism, I'm going to let you read through that and I'm going to let you read through cultural Marxism and influencers because I'm going to hit the highlight and go down through it because everybody will be asleep. But listen to me about what happened. A man by the name of Karl Marx looked out into his society and his world, and he saw oppressors oppressing people. And Marx really tried to do something that he thought was good. Now, by the way, Karl Marx, from the time he was born until he was 12, his father drug him to church. A lot of people don't realize this. Drug him to a Lutheran church and forced him into baptism at age 12. And Karl Marx hated the church. He hated religion, he saw hateful Christians, he saw liars, he saw people living double standard lives, and he's like, that's nothing but phony religion. By the way, did you know that Charles Darwin, many people don't know this, Darwin's dad tried to get him to go into seminary. And Darwin tried, and went in and just could not handle it. Forced religion. So Marx goes out, and he sees these oppressors and oppressed, and he came up with an economic theory and basically said this. If there could ever be a revolution where these poor people who are working and serving these elites, if there was ever a tragedy to where they could get into a conflict and a fight, and they could overpower the elites and become in control, then they could establish a government who would then grab all the wealth all the property, all the businesses, and the government would be able to distribute the wealth fairly. Now, ideally, folks, that would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? The problem is, is that the government becomes now the elite, and of course, they fund themselves first, and then whoever they like. And by the way, in Marxism, when the, if you imagine a pie... When you eat the whole pie, 
there's nothing else to give. It's gone. So, for the first year or two, while you're dishing out pieces of pie, everybody's happy. Because they get some of the pie. But when the pie runs out, then what happens? Everybody starves. So, when the West broke out in World War I, what was it that Mark said? Now is the time to invade. So, the Marxists tried to invade and Russia tried to establish Marxism. Well, a man by the name of Adolf Hitler saw the Marxists as enemy number one and he went to kill every one of them. So guess what happened? In the early 1920s, even before that, there was persecution. All those men, and I'm going to give you some pictures up here, all those men right there, Influence certain people, and here were the guys. Where did my picture go? Influence these guys, and I have bios and more information to bore you to death. They all fled. Guess where? Guess where? America. Guess where at in America? New York. Guess where they taught? Columbia University. So they began to establish, and I'm cutting to the simplicity here, they began to establish how they were going to not only change their homes in Italy and France and Germany, but now they began to say, we need to change America too because look at this society. But there are some problems in this society, and that is it has too much Christianity, and they have too much going on with the family. And this is what Marx said. And I'm going to go back. Marx basically said that in order to establish Marxism, there are certain things you have to do, and one of them is you have to absolutely, totally destroy Christianity. Because people who had this had freedom because they realized God made them free, and they were slave to no man. They were only accountable and answerable to God. And because they had God's Word and they had guns... This is why you often hear the phrase, people cling to their Bible and their guns. That's a Marxist phrase. They cling to their Bible and their guns. They are undefeatable because they don't care if they die. Now, what Marx did was he saw everything and everybody in two camps. Are you all following me? The oppressor and the oppressed. If you were a dominant person in society, you were an oppressor. If you were anything else, you were oppressed. Now, here's what these, these men did. These men, Sigmund Freud, y'all know who he is? He was a psychologist, a, a psychoanalyst, actually, if you want to be technical. And everybody had to read his books in college. He was a pervert. Let's just get right down frank to it. And then this other guy called Max Weber was a sociologist. Whew. I mean, I've just warned you, if you go to read their stuff, you better hang on. It's pretty bad but you read it in sociology books because that's who I was trained, under, by the way. They trained these guys, and I want to talk about the bottom guy down there on the bottom. His name's Fromm, and the top guy up on the left. When they came to America, this is what they said. Guys, Marxism failed in Russia, and it's not going to work in America unless we can get rid of the Christianity, get, got to get it out of the schools, and we're going to have to tear up the, the families. These family units are too powerful. And so what they began to do was bring out all these different theories 
but they did what we are now calling applying Marxism to the culture. What do we mean by that? They said Marx had a great theory in just applying this to, to money, but we need to take it further. We need to apply this oppressed and oppressor to everything else in life. For example, race. So they came up with what was now known as critical race theory. Anybody ever heard of that? Nobody's heard of it? Okay, well you will if you study it. Critical race theory basically says that you automatically fit into one category or another. You are either an oppressor or you are an oppressed based upon the color of your skin. Okay? Are you listening? So, under critical race theory, which is the most racist thing you can ever do, by the way, is categorize someone as an oppressor based upon whether they're white or black or they're this or they're that. That is racist to the core. This is what they taught. They said you've got to apply it to race. Watch what happened. You have to apply it to gender. Now what has happened? Now anyone who is... Uh, a, a, a biological man who has a biological female as a wife, what we would call a normal nuclear family, and we live in society with kids and we raise our family, what we would call what God says is normal, one man, one woman. Are you tracking with me where we're placed? We are now placed as the oppressor. Who is the oppressed? Anybody who doesn't think that. Now, here's what you need to understand. All of these people, these professors, said this. And I'm going to get to this one guy, his name here. This man right here, Saul Alinsky. Mr. Alinsky said, when you apply cultural, race, or cultural uh, Marxism to all these different things, here is what you have to do. If you're going to win as a revolutionary, you have to use shame and ridicule and intimidation to defeat your enemy. You have to attack people and the funding sources first. And if you do that, you will get the attention not only of that person, but that society, and ultimately you are to cancel them. Now, by the way, this man wrote way, 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 way back in the 1900s. But here's what happened. All of these professors right here influenced every textbook that was made and published in America and around the West and the world, and this is what infiltrated academia. Now, by the way, I am not bashing any college teachers, any teachers in general. We should pray, pray for our teachers who are believers. God bless them. Have mercy. How do they endure this? How? They are given curriculum and said, you must teach this. This is what you will teach and you will not say a word about it. And I know some of them grieve. Grieve. Because of what they're forced to teach. And if they choose not to, they will fire them. And replace them because there are other people in line. So that's where they're at. But that is what happened here. So now, let me share with you what, what the secular left is attempting to do. Okay, so now turn your paper over. I'm not going to read anything else on that. But what has happened is, now you have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
and every other social media platform. Are, are y'all with me? And what they've done is they've bought in full force to cultural Marxism. And they have hopped on the bandwagon. And when anybody disagrees with them, they block them. They appeal to the woke culture and they say, block them. And they have now gotten their message into the hands of every child that is old enough to hold a cell phone. And I want to tell you something, Christian parent, this morning. I'm being as transparent as I can. If you think for one minute that you're the one that's influencing your child today if they have a smartphone, I've got news for you. You are not. They look at their phone on average 8 to 13 hours a day, some more. They are being inundated. Inundated, not just by advertising, but by friendships and associations they have with organizations or groups that believe in cultural Marxism and that if cultural Marxism is not followed and you do not buy on and endorse that, you are a hater, an oppressor, a bigot, a homophobe, Islamophobe, a xenophobe, and I could go on down the phobe list. That's what you are because you are in one of the two camps. You're either an oppressor or you're the oppressed. Now, here's what to do. If you discover that you are the oppressor because they say so, your only alternative is to join the oppressed group and speak. Now, let me apply this right down to where the rubber meets the road. I often wondered, what is LeBron James? Everybody knows who LeBron James is, right? He's an NBA basketball player, one of the best. Athletically, he is great. He's earned almost $1 billion in the NBA, I was told. But he is speaking up as a voice for the oppressed. Do you know why? Because he automatically, under cultural Marxism, is identified as an oppressed person. Even though he's a billionaire, he is oppressed and therefore he has a right to speak. Now, by the way, what I didn't tell you in sensitivity training and every other kind of training, diversity training, whatever, if you are an oppressor, this is your responsibility. Sit down and hush because you have nothing to say. All you can do is listen, learn, and submit. This is what's said now. So these are the camps. So here we are in cultural Marxism. I'm going all the way down. Technology has, has pushed this beyond means through the national news. By the way, if you watch national news, CBS, ABC, NBC, CNN. I hate to share it. I sound like a bad news bear, don't I? But the governor uh, of New York, his brother, Como or Kumo or whatever you want to call him, got on TV and basically, listen, listen to what he said, he said, all of this rioting it will never change until white kids start dying. Now, sometimes we struggle and say, oh, I've heard, how'd they come up with that? Listen to the cultural Marxism, oppressed and oppressor. And so what they're beginning to do is turn to what? Maxine Waters, do you all know who Maxine is? Maxine went to Minnesota this weekend, and what did she tell the revolutionaries? You're going to have to get more controversial. 
So you've got, you've got to have a revolt and a riot before all of this can come in. And by the way, Lutzer makes this point. He says the George Floyd death was horrible. And by the way, don't, don't say it wasn't. But the problem was, is it wasn't about race, it was about revolution. This is why Antifa, an organization that is totally cultural Marxist, came in and basically started rioting and shooting and looting. This is why they have taken over Portland, Oregon. That's why they have kicked out the police. By the way, do you know why everybody wants to defund the police? Listen carefully. The police are the only line of defense between you, the common, ordinary citizen, and the criminal who wants to take your life and your property and everything about you, and they don't care. The police are the only line of defense between us, and it's a thin blue line. If you can destroy the police, somebody's going to have the power. Who will that be? It will be the elite in the government. I'm just trying to help you all see this. This is what's happening. Now listen to what Lutzer says. Ways the secular left want to remake America. And I'm, I'm going to hurry. Number one, rewrite the past to control the future. Destroying the monuments. The 1619 project. Have you all heard about that? This is one project that the, the past administration banned. The 1619 Project was a project by the New York Times, which went right here in the state of Virginia and basically said, America is nothing but a racist country from the very foundation. And slavery and capitalism joined together, and it's the only reason America is what it is. And everyone who's ever involved in that must pay the oppressor today. No matter what the cost... And the former administration said it's teaching people to hate our country and hate the fight. And, and so the 1619 Project. By the way, this is why monuments are wanting to be dashed down. I could go through a whole list that you wouldn't believe. They even attacked Abe Lincoln's monument, tore it to the ground. Did you hear me? Abe Lincoln, the man who freed slavery. Why would you do that? The man who wrote the Emancipation of Proclamation and emancipated slavery. They tore his monument down. So rewrite the past to control the future. Use diversity to divide and destroy. By the way, did you realize that within critical race theory, this is crucial, they say in critical race theory, it was never designed to unite the races. It was only designed to divide. To cause constant friction, division, and revolution. You need to, you need to know this. Refusing to acknowledge today, by the way, the critical race theory refuses to acknowledge that 40 million slaves are actively owned today. Did you all know that? 40 million? Where, you say? India, primarily, and Africa. Now, let me just stop for a minute and say this America is not perfect, she has sinned. There are things that America has done that are shameful. But you don't erase your past just because of some bad things. You learn from your past and you improve upon it and you do better. But here is something to put in your hip pocket. First of all, why is America never compared to any other nation on the face of the earth? 
Why? You, know, you want to know why? Because America didn't start slavery, but America stopped it. They don't want you knowing that. They don't want your children knowing that in the history books. They don't want them knowing that. America is also a capitalist nation that gives more in donations than any other country in the world. You know why? Because people have an abundance of their income and they give it away to help. You won't hear one word. America is never compared to any other nation. You know why? Because the cultural Marxists say America cannot be revamped. It must be destroyed and remade. And that is exactly what is happening. Number three, freedom of speech for one side, that is the oppressed, and not the other. You have no voice. Four, propaganda. You can read that. Five, this one's heavy. Sexualize the children. This man, uh, right there at the end, see the, the, the last guy's picture? Sexualize the children. Listen to what some of these guys said. They basically said, what you need to do is normalize the bizarre. Normalize the bizarre. Have you all heard of drag queens? I'm sorry to have to share some of this, but it's true, and it's coming to our libraries. It's where men dress up like women and go in and read to four, five, six, seven-year-old kids to try to teach them that it's normal. But if you can popularize the bizarre... Uh, you, what do you do? You desensitize the culture. You've heard it so much, you're just like, you know, I mean, all of us now are like LGBTQ. I mean, what, we've heard it so much, it just is what it is, and let me live my life, and, but that's not good enough. Boom, boom. Sexualize the children. By the way, I told the first service, I cannot, from the pulpit, get into this. I can't get into fully into critical race theory or sexualize the children. I can't get into some of the freedom of speech because it could totally be misunderstood. So we're going to have a workshop. I, I, let me rephrase that. I am willing to have a workshop if you are interested in coming to the workshop where you can ask questions. Uh, you have to let me know if you're interested. If you are, we'll set it up for either next Saturday or possibly the following Saturday. But if I get enough interest, we'll do it. There's just some things I, I am not going to talk about from right here, but I will in that workshop but sexualize the children number six vilify capitalism deify socialism Uh, by the way under that phrase why is all this climate change and stuff going on if y'all you know you everybody thinks well this is because of you know you all listen for a second really close what has happened is the cultural marxists have come under the oppressor Number one, God is the ultimate oppressor. And that's why Christianity needs to be destroyed. But look at number two. Globally, guess who is the oppressor of the nations? America. Now you all listen closely. This is what they said. You can read it for yourself. What we have to do is shatter the foundation of America by making her bankrupt. If we can make America have to fund everyone else's climate change, and we can bankrupt her, we can overtake her and have a globalist system. There was also a meeting I don't even want to get into about COVID and the Great Reset. You can go online if it's still there and view the Great Reset. 
And it was where the world thinkers, George Soros and some others who were into globalism and elitism and so forth, got together and basically said, we've got to take advantage of this, this situation. And you all hear me for a minute. All these stimulus checks that everybody got, that everybody think is lovely. And I, I don't even want to go there because I realize where we can go. But every bit of that was one big leap toward government socializing and handing out. And so socialism's goal is to get people from, from cradle to grave where the government takes care of them every step of the way. And so all of this COVID and trillions of dollars of debt, creating money that we don't have, every bit of that that was injected, all plays into this narrative of destroying capitalism and deifying socialism. And then number eight, the way that they accomplish this is vilify, vilify, vilify. Cancel them and be woke. I've already explained what woke is. You all know what cancel is. If you, if you disagree with us as oppressed people, we will rally around you and we will punish you. This is what Major League Baseball did to Georgia because Georgia required you to show a voter ID before you vote. By the way, did you know that you had to show a voter ID before you could get in uh, Major League Baseball or coaches or Coke's board meeting? You had to show a voter ID. Do you know that before you get into a baseball game, you've got to show a voter ID? What is going on here? Listen to me. It's not common sense. It is pressure. Vilify, vilify, vilify. Destroy the police, the radical elite will be in control. Kill the church, destroy the nuclear family, get rid of the Judeo-Christian principle, and secular humanism will dominate. Now, let me, let me stop for a minute because... Whew, big breath. You all don't realize I've had to read hundreds and hundreds of pages and watch things, this, this weighs heavy on us. Weighs heavy on me. This is not something I take lightly, folks. This, this is real. But I want to share a couple of things from my heart. And this is so important. Lutzer points some of this out too. But here are the questions. Number one, the church is so silent. Both here and especially out in public. Now, by the way, it's easy for me to stand right here and talk to you. I know, you know, some people may not agree with me. I, I see some people, you know, every now and then go, and, and that's fine. But it's easy to stand here and talk from a pulpit. It is very hard when you are at work and you are in the middle of a training or you're in a town council meeting or you're in a board meeting or you're somewhere where you are one and they are 50. But why are we so silent? Well, first of all, let's just be frank. We are afraid. We don't want to say anything that's going to stir up the woke crowd because we're afraid of them. We're afraid they'll burn our church, burn our car, burn our home, attack our children, and everything else. And I, I want to tell you something, they will. They will. And by the way, I grew, up, I grew up in a place that was mean. Mean, I'm telling you. Boys would, 
walk around in the ditches and wait for you to get out from the edge of the school bus and jump on you and beat you up. You know why they would beat you up? Because they were bullies. And they knew if they beat you up, you were afraid of them. And the church is afraid. None of us, including me, I, I don't want to go through that either. But I got news for you. Because we're afraid of them, we have stopped saying a word. The second reason that we are silent is because we want to be seen as nice and loving and welcoming and good witnesses of the gospel. Don't we? Every one of us. But let me remind you again, we have to discover who defines righteousness. Who defines truth. It is the most unloving thing in the world to do is to let people go in a lie. That is terrible. So what should we do? What should we do? Okay, we, we, we hear you. What should we do? Well, get ready for this because it's hard. Number one, we, God's people, must commit to standing against what God is against and standing for what God is for no matter the cost. When somebody goes into a boardroom and sitting across the table from you is a boy who is now identifying as a girl and they say you're going to call her as she and your conscience won't let you do that, don't you cower. If you know something is right because God says it's right, you don't cower. You say, well... uh, Do you know how hard? Yes, I do. I know exactly how hard that is. But I want to tell you something. It's time that we stand up, even if it costs us. You say, well, that's not fair. You don't understand. It's easier for you. I understand that. Please hear me. I have been where you are. Conformity is a very difficult thing. But I am simply telling you that the time has come and our Lord commands that we stand for Him. And blessed are we when we're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Great is our reward in heaven. We are not living for the here and now. We are living for eternity. And as God's people, we've lost sight of that. The second thing, and by the way, if, if they start getting drag queens in the public library at Christiansburg, I hope this town erupts. I grew up in a home with a sibling who was molested by a man. I know what happens. And when you want to normalize deviant behavior, that leads down the wrong road. And I can tell you that from personal experience, so don't even go there. But I hope this town would have enough conscience to say, no, if you want a woman to read to our children, then get a woman to read to her. If you want a man to read, then you get a man to read to them. But no, we're not allowing it. We must realize our responsibility is faithfulness, not victory. Hear me closely. We are responsible to be faithful, not to win. Lutzer makes this statement, and I happen to agree with him. We will never reverse this culture. We will never overturn abortion. We will never overturn same-sex marriage. LGBTQ is here to stay and to grow, and it's going to get more rampant. All of the training you have to go through and the diversity training and the gender training and the sexual orientation training and the race training, 
Listen to me, folks. That is here to stay. Our job is not to win. Our job is to be faithful. And number three, we must be willing to pay the price for standing with Jesus. No matter what that is, we must be willing to stand and pay the price. And you know, as a pastor, that's hard because that could cause job loss, could cause shame, it could cause all kinds of hardship in people's life. But can I say this to you as a pastor because I honestly believe this. Life is short. Eternity is long. And if you don't remember anything else, you remember this. You live for eternity. This world is not our home. We've gotten awful attached here. It's not our home.